0: My name is Heidi and I love stories. Funny stories, sad stories, and what on earth just happened to stories? As it turns out, the Bible is full of them. And after two decades in Sunday school and a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. Get ready. This is Messy Scripture. The end of the book of Genesis, which, by the way, we are rapidly approaching, basically follows one serious arc that unfolds in this sweeping narrative that opens up possibilities for the rest of the Bible and pretty much establishes the thrust of the story for the next several hundred years. However, there are some sort of side quests, if you will, that the sons and daughter of Leah get into before we actually get into that big final narrative. Without further ado, this is the Children of Leah Extravaganza. Once Israel's family had made up with Esau, they were free to live basically anywhere they wanted in Canaan, as long as they could get along with the locals who were already there. The first place they tried was a place called Shechem, which was a city that had its own king and its own prince, and that prince was kind of a dick. So here's what happened Dinah, Leah's possibly only daughter, went into the city of Shechem to have some girl time, you know, just hang with the ladies, because she has like 10, 11 brothers. So she is very happy to have some girl time. Unfortunately, girl time turns into getting raped by the Prince of Shechem time because the Prince of Shechem thinks that he can have whomever he wants. After he takes her, forcibly rapes her, humiliating her, he decides that he's in love with her and asks his father to get Dinah as his wife. The king goes to Israel and explains what happened, everything that happened. And Israel holds his peace until his other sons get back. You know, All the grown-up sons that he has, Dinah's brothers, when they hear about this, they are incredibly indignant because their sister has just been assaulted. And the king thinks that it will be all better and, in fact, great if his son marries the woman that he has raped. The sons of Jacob are not happy about this idea, and they want revenge. So they lie through their teeth. They tell the king of Shechem that it's a great idea if Dinah marries his son. There's just one small problem all of the sons of Jacob, and in fact all of the sons of Abraham, are circumcised. It would just be unacceptable if Dinah married into a family that was uncircumcised heathens, so all they have to do to get Dinah's hand in marriage is to have themselves and the entire city of Shechem circumcised. Amazingly, the king and his son both agree to this, because they realize that they could intermarry into Jacob's family and absorb all of that wealth and Societal power into their town if only they can get Dinah. So the men of Shechem all agree to be circumcised as adults. Ouch. Three days after the prince, the king, and all of the men of Shechem have been circumcised, Simeon and Levi go into the city and slaughter them all. As it turns out, the third day is the most painful day after circumcision, so they waited until the men would be at their weakest, and Simeon and Levi go into the city and kill them all. Not the women and children, just the men, you know who had agreed to be circumcised because their prince had raped Dinah. After that, the other sons of Jacob went into the city and plundered it. All of the wealth, all of the children, all of the women, they took into their own camp and plundered. So really, the sons of Jacob do not come out of this story looking great, and Simeon and Levi come out looking real bad. Israel is pissed because they have made a huge mistake. By killing the king of Shechem and his son and also all of the males and plundering the entire city of Shechem, Jacob has just made his family some very powerful enemies, i.e. the entire area of Canaan. However, Simeon and Levi point out that they are not going to have their sister treated like, and I quote, a whore. So Jacob doesn't really have much he can say here. Simeon and Levi have already made their decision. The plunder is already taken. Their sister Dinah has been avenged. Now, let's just be clear. It is not as though the sons of Jacob, and specifically the sons of Leah, are not a little bit of sexual deviance. Shortly after Rachel, remember, Jacob's favorite wife, Israel's favorite wife. God, it's confusing with the Jacob and Israel thing, but the Bible keeps switching back and forth. I don't know what to tell you. Rachel gets pregnant by Jacob again, and this time when she's in labor, it's very, very difficult. She gives birth to a second son who she names Ben-Oni, which means either son of my sorrow or son of my strength. Rachel knows that she is dying. After she passes, Jacob renames the son that she had Benjamin, which means the son of my right hand. He's heartbroken because Rachel was the love of his life, and she has died, giving birth to her second son, the 12th son of Israel, Benjamin. At this point, one would hope that the sons of Leah, and in fact all of the family members of Jacob, would be really sensitive to their father's grief, you know, since he just lost his favorite wife in childbirth, and also there's a newborn baby. But no, Reuben, the oldest son of Leah, and in fact the oldest son of Jacob, goes in and sleeps with one of the two servant wives— In fact, he doesn't just go in and sleep with one of the two servant wives. He goes into Bilhah, who was Rachel's servant. So he goes in and sleeps with replacement Rachel shortly after Rachel's death, and his father hears about it. At this moment, Israel says nothing. Whether it's because he's deeply in grief or because he thinks that he's already lost control of Reuben, we're not sure. But Israel knows that Reuben has gone in and slept with his concubine, which is incredibly dishonoring on its own. But not only that, he slept with the concubine that had been given to Jacob by Rachel after Rachel dies. It's possible that Israel would have punished Reuben and done something big. But at this point, they're journeying to see Isaac, who is on his deathbed. Isaac had thought he was on his deathbed when he gave the blessing, but apparently he was not anywhere close. It's been several decades and Isaac was still kicking, but not anymore. Both Jacob and Esau get to be with Isaac when he passes. And just as Isaac and Ishmael buried their father, Jacob and Esau bury theirs. Isaac, the second patriarch, died at 180 years old. Between the death of his favorite wife and the death of his father, it's quite possible that Israel wasn't really capable of punishing Reuben at the moment. But he didn't forget. Oh, trust me, he did not forget. Reuben, you are a stupid sandwich. And now let's turn to one more of Leah's sons and Jacob's sons, It may sound like I'm blaming Leah for this, but it's not that. It's that Joseph and Benjamin have their own very special arc. Also, there are far more sons of Leah. It's also impossible to distinguish the sons of Jacob from each other if you don't use their mothers as part of the, uh, plan. You know, because there's 12 of them? Beyond that, I don't necessarily think it has anything to do with Leah's parenting and a lot more to do with the fact that Leah's sons were significantly older than Rachel's sons in general. And therefore, Leah's sons had a lot more time to get up to trouble while, uh, Rachel's sons were up to something else. That something else will be covered in the next episode, but first we need to cover, as I affectionately call it, the last big stupid performed by a son of Leah and Jacob before we get to the end of Genesis. This big stupid is performed by Judah. Judah had three sons, one of whom, the oldest, married a girl named Tamar. Well, the oldest who had married Tamar was super, super wicked, and God just straight up smited him. We're not totally sure why. The Bible doesn't say what heir did to get smited. His name was Eyre, in case it was unclear, like as in he is an error all the time. At this point in history, family names were passed on patriarchally, you know, the patriarchy, the patriarchy. So because Eyre and Tamar had had no sons before Eyre died, it was the duty of the second born to have Eyre's children for him. Basically, his children by Tamar would be considered his brother's line he wouldn't get to have a line of his own. This upset Onan, the second son, and so he came up with a clever plan. When he would have sexy time with Tamar, he would intentionally pull out in such a way that Tamar would not get pregnant, but he could still have sex with her. God did not find Onan's behavior amusing or appropriate because he was just using Tamar's body to masturbate, you know, because he was spilling his semen on the ground and refusing to give his brother an heir. Therefore, God put Onan to death, too. At this point, Judah has now lost two sons, and he is blaming Tamar for that, despite the fact that it is definitely the son's fault and definitely nothing to do with Tamar. So he tells Tamar to go back home and live with her father until his third son, Shelah, grows up. Judah did this mostly to make sure that Tamar wouldn't get anywhere close to Shelah. And he definitely had no intention of giving Shelah in marriage to Tamar because he was afraid that his son would die. Well, his third son would die. But Tamar doesn't know that yet. And she goes home and lives with her dad. You know, basically had been passed back to the original paternal owner. It's not great. We all know ancient societies weren't great for this. And this was an ancient society kind of thing to do. Eventually, Judah's wife did pass away, and after Judah had mourned for her an acceptable amount of time, he went out with the sheep shearers to do the, you know, annual shearing thing. It's important that it wasn't in his home area, because he sees a prostitute on the side of the road wearing a veil. Little does he know that that prostitute is not really a prostitute, but it's Tamar. Tamar has figured out at this point, because, you know, there was enough time for Judah's wife to die, and Shelah is definitely a grown-up now, that Judah has no intention of doing his job and making sure that Tamar produces an heir for her first husband. Perhaps more relevantly, it's not like Tamar could marry somebody else. After all, she was pledged to be married to Shelah, and was in fact still technically Judah's problem. So Tamar disguises herself as a prostitute, stands by the side of the road, and seduces Judah, her father-in-law. Judah doesn't recognize her, and when she asks for payment, he tells her that he'll send her a young goat and gives her his signet ring, his cord, and his staff, all three identifying marks of himself, as a way of assuring payment, you know, because he can't get him back unless he does send her the goat. He sends the goat by a friend, and he's like, where's the cult prostitute that works on this road? And the friend's like, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no prostitute on this road. So Judah takes the goat back, but his cord and his signet and stuff is still missing, so he's got a bit of a problem. He decides to let this mysterious prostitute hold on to his stuff because he will be the laughingstock of everybody if he can't even locate the prostitute to get his stuff back. So basically he's like, yeah, whatever, it's hers now. He finds out three months later that his daughter-in-law Tamar is pregnant, mysteriously, and he's like, well, let's put her to death, she's a hoe. And she's like, I'm not just any hoe, I'm the hoe you slept with. Look, here's your signet cord and stuff. You made a big mistake. And Judah's like, honestly, she's got a point, like mad respect, she's more righteous than I am because I was withholding my son from her. So yeah, she has every right to the baby and also every right to this. Judah finally for once in his life does the honorable thing and doesn't sleep with Tamar again. Surprise, Tamar has twins. The first one sticks out, it's little fist and they're like, ooh, the oldest. So they tie a red ribbon around it. If this reminds you anything of the birth of Jacob and Esau by Rebecca, it's because it's very, very similar. First baby comes out and it's not the red ribbon, baby so they're like, ooh, surprise oldest. Tamar names her babies Perez and Zara. They're gonna come up later, but not for a while. And there you have it. This is what the sons of Leah were up to up until they end up on a family road trip with everyone in the family. In the next episode, we're gonna find out what the son of Rachel was up to, you know, Joseph the pretty boy, and also find out what precipitated the family road trip. Probably. It's gonna be a good time and we are almost through Genesis. There's two episodes left and it's a roller coaster. Stay tuned.